Well, good morning again. It is good to be here, although I will admit that Maggie and I are probably a little on the weary side with the driving that we did. I am having to admit I can't take those trips as well as I used to. So we're going to make a go of it this morning, and we have some important things to be sharing, and uh, I hope that we can just have a great time in God's Word this morning. Last week, we explored the subject of patience or long-suffering, and the root meaning of patience was to have a long fuse, and it was to either avoid getting angry altogether or to keep it at bay for a long time um, to control our anger. We determined that the Lord is patient in his character, and we saw several examples of that in the Lord dealing with the nation of Israel as well as the patience of Christ while on earth. We looked at the benefits of being patient. Uh, We looked at the book of Proverbs, and we saw that we can calm difficult situations. The other thing we can do is we can avoid conflict from even taking place by exercising proper patience. So just as a point of review... We're now moving then into this idea of forbearing and forgiving, and we're going to look at that uh, passage in just a moment, but we're building upon the different things that we have been seeing in Colossians chapter 3. As we consider those things, uh, we're going to to see very soon that these aren't just individual um, elements of, of virtues of the Christian life, but they actually work together. And at some point, we're going to kind of talk about it in that way. But right now, we're just taking each of these things and kind of building them out and seeing uh, how the scriptures portray them. And so just to remind ourselves, we're going to look at um, uh, Colossians 3 for a moment here. It says, bearing with one another, verse 13, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So today, we're looking at these uh, two things that the new person in Christ puts on. That's the continuation of what we've been talking about. Now, I want to emphasize that the primary application of this is in the church. That's who Jesus, uh, Paul, sorry, is writing to. Obviously, Jesus has something to do with that. But anyway, Paul is writing to this church, and he wants these virtues to be uh, exercised in the body. But we can still apply these in many, many situations and should in relation to our Christian lives. So just keeping that in mind as the primary reason why Paul is writing this. So as we move forward, let's talk about this idea of bearing with others. To bear up, to forbear, however we might want to call it, literally means to hold up against, which lends to the usage put to it to bear, to endure, or to suffer. So the idea is that we're, we're holding up against something. I really see three different ways that we can and should bear with others. We're to suffer or endure offenses. We're to suffer or endure offenses. Now, I want to break this up into two different areas because I think that sometimes we can fall into one of these. The first one is obviously real offenses. Things that are truly offenses that someone has done against us. It is not natural for us to be sinned against and respond by saying, I choose to endure that offense. That is not a natural thing to do. But that's what bear with means. 
We take the hit of an offense and we don't retaliate or hold it against someone. We don't retaliate or hold it against someone. (laughs) This is much different than the fleshly options of blowing up at them, getting even or cutting them down in some way, which is what we saw earlier in this passage, those things about anger that we are to put off. Now, I've said before, putting off doesn't mean that we automatically put on. So this is something that we need to actively do. Now, it's important to note that there are times when we need to confront. There are times we need to talk to somebody about something that they have done against us. Um, This doesn't say that that's inappropriate. But yet at the same time, there is that spirit of forgiveness that's already there. Okay, we'll explain that a little bit more. But simply because we want to or feel like we need to help correct a situation with someone doesn't mean that we, we haven't forgiven them. But the other thing is this, it's not necessarily necessary to do that. Then there's this area of perceived offenses. This is when it isn't obvious someone intended to sin against us, but the situation makes it feel like they did. Many of us probably have confronted someone, not necessarily like, hey, you did this to me, you know, but but in some way we have brought something up to somebody where we thought that they offended us. We may have asked, uh, why did you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Or why did you, what did you mean when you said this, right? But when we confront them, we're surprised at their response. Because they kind of look at us a little startled and sometimes maybe and say, I, had, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Or they explain that they didn't mean what we took at all. They were sincere. And then we realize maybe that, that we were wrong, right? Now, I, I just want us to learn from that, not because that's the, the only way that we can discover that, but think about it this way. When we feel offended, we should pause and evaluate what we think has happened and what might influence our feelings. It could be really easy. You know, I'm even thinking of just me being a little fatigued today. It could be really easy for someone to say something after the message. Like, what do they mean by that? Right? That was not a nice thing to say. You know, and all of a sudden it becomes a problem, right? I hope nobody feels like, you know, he's got a problem this morning. Stay away from him. That's not what I'm saying, okay? (laughs) But we need to make sure that we take the situation, look at the situation properly, that we really evaluate what has happened and that we not be easily wounded. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we're offended by things that shouldn't even really offend us. So I, I think that this idea of forbearing speaks to that. So it can be something that's perceived or something that's very real. But either way, it's something that we need to sometimes put up with people about, even if we have been offended by them. Okay. Now, there's another area. I believe we are to put up with shortcomings. Another person's abilities or spiritual maturity in a given area may not be as strong as yours or mine. Now, I believe that in many cases, our spiritual lives are are more like a a spectrum. You know, you might be strong in certain areas, but boy, you probably have some weaknesses too that you're working on, right? 
And that person's strengths and weaknesses might look a little bit different than ours if we kind of put them on a bar graph or something like that, you know, where, okay, you're up here, you're stronger, they're a little weaker there, but they're stronger here, you know. But the way that matches up, it might be like, ah, you know, come on. Well, we're, we're to, to bear with that. Bearing with means that we don't make this an issue. We don't become critical. We don't pridefully show off our abilities. Excuse me, get out of the way while I take care of this. Right? And we don't make it an uncomfortable teaching moment. I, I want to qualify that. An uncomfortable teaching moment. I think there's a natural way to encourage someone in their faith, but there's a very natural, fleshly way to encourage someone to be like you or to be like me, right? That's not the type of, of educational moment that we're talking about, all right? That should not be. So this type of putting up with also includes people's weaknesses. It isn't quite the same as lacking in an area. Some people may struggle in areas that we don't. We may not understand their perspective as to the how and why, but they may act or react in situations differently than us. And there could be a very good explanation for that. So rather than responding in an uncaring way, even if we are not necessarily mentally in a position to actually encourage them in that, we should at least tolerate that. And then we simply need to tolerate our differences. All of us are unique. Some of us are more uniqueer than others, right? Some of us standing before you are. <laughs> anyway, we have our personality types. We, we communicate differently. Most married people can attest to that, right? We communicate differently. Yeah, but I said. Yeah, but I heard, right? And it happens all the time. How we do what we do, our mannerisms, what we value, even our humor can be different. So tolerating others isn't necessarily compromising our own standards. We may not agree with their reasons or their methods, but unless it's something simple, we, sinful, we simply need to endure it. We need to endure them. We need to put up with them. They're just different. And I don't mean that we say... <laughs> They're different. Okay, that's not, that's not rightly putting up with somebody. I mean, let's face it. People tend to grade things, right? Some of it's right and proper. A person's life is worth more than an animal's life. We don't sentence someone to death for stealing something small, right? However, sometimes our, our assigning of worth can be off. It's clear from this passage and others that love must be the foundation of everything that we do. We see that a little bit later on in this passage in Colossians. Yet I am sure that we appreciate the little phrase of bearing with. I'm not sure that we appreciate that as much as we should. That bearing with, that, that bearing with even out of love, it matters. We have a choice as to whether or not we bear with others. One critical point we must understand is that we should bear with, with all these situations as a first response. 
a first response, not as a last resort. Let's let that sink in for a minute. Because often what we do is, well, I don't like what's going on here and I'm going to express myself or anything. Well, now, now I'm going to bear with this. No. It should be the, 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 the reflex action. Amen. That's what the scripture is telling us here. All of us struggle at times with feeling that we need to have our forbearance justified before we actually do it. Isn't that right? But is that really bearing with someone? It simply isn't right to require that people pass our test before we choose to put up with what they have said or done. One aspect of being tolerant with others is simply out of desire to give them a break, to be gracious to them. Another aspect is to not require others to meet a standard that is ours in the first place, right? So when we bear with people, we don't allow minor differences to influence what we think of someone or how we treat them. Now, again, I understand sometimes there are some significant differences, and even though we might bear with them, we might have to talk with them about that. It doesn't mean that we're not bearing with. So the last thing we need to do, for time's sake, it's going to be a little bit brief. We could get deeper into this, but we need to consider that an all-powerful, all-knowing God puts up with each of us every day. So let's think about that. What happened to my notes here? magic okay i think i held my jaw wrong there but anyway (laughs) let's think about this how tolerant would you be of your own prayer life if you were hearing the prayers that you prayed how tolerant would you be i'll tell you what i would think of myself man that dude will not stop whining every little thing right When's he going to grow up? Really? That's what you're praying about? What about these other things in your life? I can go on and on about that, about my own life, right? But the point is this. That's what God puts up with every day, every moment. How much would you bear with your own weaknesses? I mean, if we really looked at ourselves and we said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good at some things, and we all are, but then there's some areas that we just really struggle with, right? How tolerant would we be of ourselves? Apart from ourselves. We're very tolerant of ourselves, okay? But I'm saying if it wasn't us that was looking at it, right? And at what point would we say, enough is enough, if we knew everything that we said, thought, or did. Again, this is God and his endurance, his tolerance with us. Concerning how the Lord bears with us should cause us to be more inclined to bear with others. Because he really, really is a forbearing God. All right, now let's consider the area of forgiveness. And folks, I'm just going to tell you, just with including forbearance, including all things we talked about, 
we're taking words and phrases and we're giving whole messages behind them because we want to have the richer meaning behind it. But it's still not going to be exhaustive. This subject is big, okay? Forgiveness this is a big subject. But I'm going to try to stay within the context of Colossians 3 as we talk about forgiving one another, right? And, and all those other things. But I, 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 I want to bring some other things to bear. So... Let's begin our conversation about forgiveness by looking first at the phrases that accompany this quality, this quality of forgiveness. First, it says that if anyone has a complaint against another, well, the word if there is simply a conditional statement. It means really when, right? When a situation comes up, when someone has something against somebody else, we're told to forgive. The word complaint isn't merely complaining. This is a genuine offense. All right, so we're not talking about forbearing anymore. We're not talking about forgiving. I want to make sure we, we, we wrap our minds around that. But th- we're, the idea here is it's a, it's, a, it's a genuine offense. Second, the second phrase that we see here is we are, we are given direct pointed command to forgive as Christ forgave. Wow, that, that's, a, that's a high standard, folks. But this, I really believe, is a command. It's a command to live by a very high standard. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. But I want us to consider those two things first. As we get into this idea of forgiveness, there are some, there are some statements with this particular quality that we are to be putting on. The first two instructions that we see here, these two instructions, give us a, a really good idea of the when and the why and the how of forgiving. So now let's answer what it means to forgive. The Greek word for forgive in Colossians 3.13 is, and I, I'm not a Greek scholar here, okay, but it's charizomai. This comes from the root word charis, or grace. So charizomai is forgiveness given without the recipient doing anything to deserve it. In other words, when we forgive someone in this way, we don't wait until they necessarily ask for forgiveness. We don't forgive because they have changed. We don't forgive because they have made things right with us. We don't forgive because they have uh, done anything really to deserve it. That is that grace component of this aspect of forgiving. Again, charizomai is a gift that comes from grace, giving something to someone that they don't deserve or haven't earned. So let's bring back this idea that we are graciously forgiven as Christ, or we are to graciously forgive as Christ has forgiven us. I want us to go back to our scripture reading today to Luke chapter 7. The scene is set that a Pharisee had asked Jesus to dine with him. A woman who lived in that city heard that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house. We aren't given the name of the city. We aren't given the name of the woman. And in my studies, there's a lot of speculation about who that woman is. And frankly, a lot of scholars say, we don't really know, and we maybe aren't supposed to know. The purpose is to emphasize the character of Christ and the character of forgiveness. Luke makes sure that we understand this woman was a sinner, she almost certainly had her own sinful small business. All right? Jesus comes into this Pharisee's home during a meal. I'm sorry, Jesus. The woman comes in to see Jesus 
into this Pharisee's home during a meal, which was an act of great courage. I mean, think about that. Think about you sitting down to dinner and someone comes in and just joins you. Now, this was, she was joining in a little bit different way, but, you know, if you even knew that person, right, it'd be like, what are you doing here? You know, it'd be strange. So, so this was, this was a, a somewhat of an awkward situation, but this woman was not going to be dissuaded by that. We read that she is crying. She allows her tears to fall on Jesus' feet. And at that moment, the woman noticed probably that his feet had not been washed for the mealtime. She begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. The text also tells us that she kissed his feet. The wording indicates that she would have been continuously kissing his feet. At some point, she applies the fragrant oil to the feet of Jesus. So what was this woman doing? Before we answer, the Pharisee, who certainly would have already been highly offended that this woman had come into his home, said in his heart, and I'm paraphrasing, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Now, the implication is that a prophet would either be given knowledge right? Supernatural knowledge that this woman is a sinner or would have already known she was a sinner and either way would not have allowed her to touch him, right? This, this would have gone beyond the standard of, of, of a real, a good prophet. How dare he allow this woman who has this horrible reputation, this true reputation, by the way, touch him? Jesus then asked Simon if he could tell him a story. When we see that story, it's, it's so short, I can put it on the overhead. A money lender, we're going to take this from the New American Standard. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Okay, so one owed 10 times the amount that the other person owed. When they were unable to pay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. That's a proper determination, right? The point of this very short story is that people who are forgiven much appreciate that forgiveness more. The woman was showing her gratitude for being forgiven. Now, again, we aren't given any details as to when or how this happened, but apparently this woman had already had some interaction with Christ. This had already taken place. He had, she had heard his teaching and believed, or she had seen a miracle and believed, whatever it was, she had already responded in faith. Jesus then gently but firmly compares the act of this woman to Simon. Now, there's some cultural things that are going on here, and frankly, I didn't live in that culture. I don't know all this stuff. But what I understand is this. None of these things listed were social requirements, but were customary to express worth to a guest. All right? And by the way, just for the record, if any of you come into my home, I'm probably not going to kiss you. I'm just, just, just saying, okay? Different culture today, right? But the Pharisees provided, uh, the Pharisee provided no servant or basin of water for Jesus to wash his feet. That would have been a courtesy. Not a necessity, but a courtesy. 
But this woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Simon gave him no greeting with a kiss on the cheek. It would have been normal in that day. We traveled to Romania a number of times, and we were warned ahead of time, they do greet you in Romania with a kiss on the cheek, so don't be offended by that. No one ever did. Maybe it's just because of how I looked. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I was okay with that just because we don't do that. But I, I wasn't afraid of it. You know what I'm trying to say? But, but that was the practice. But here, this woman continuously, right, was kissing his feet. This Pharisee did not anoint his head with common olive oil. Again, just a greeting. It would have simply been an anointing on the head uh, of just glad to see you. It's it's almost like a a blessing type of idea. But this woman anointed his feet with an expensive fragrance, an expensive oil. Here, Jesus uses the term terizomai, or gracious forgiveness. In this little story, that is what he says, that this creditor right this creditor used terizomai used graciousness in forgiving now let's take a look at one more portion of this story luke 7 47 and 48 says therefore i say to you after he makes this comparison he tells the pharisee her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loves little Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. As Jesus turns his attention to the woman who was at his feet, he speaks to her and he uses the more common term for forgiveness. This is not the same as tridzomai. That was in the, the, the brief story. But he uses the more common term to, to leave something, to, to, to let or to send away. It also means to omit or let something go. This would be the more formal legal term for forgiveness. Now understand something. The first part was about a creditor to people that owed him money. Jesus doesn't use this term there. He uses the gracious forgiveness there that we see in Colossians 3. But then he turns around and lets her know in in, in not not a, a less... Um, emotional way, okay? We're not talking about lesser or greater words here. We're talking about different words for the same idea. But he lets her know, your sins are omitted. All right? In Jesus' story, a person who has been graciously forgiven much is more thankful. This woman was expressing that. He then assures her with his word that her sins are gone. So let me emphasize that Jesus was giving this woman assurance. Her sins were already forgiven based upon her faith. This was not a faith expression that she was doing. There was already an expression of faith. She was responding based upon that faith by showing Jesus how much she loved him. By showing her devotion to him for, for forgiving her of her sins. Now, 
Some would say that asking for forgiveness is required before we can be forgiven. Now, folks, I, I want to be gentle about this, but I, I don't know how else to say, but I, I disagree with that. I believe that chorizomai is a different term. It's not used nearly as often, but I do believe that it is a grace-based forgiveness. When we look in the Gospels, Jesus often forgave based upon faith, not that someone confessed that they were a sinner. And, and that's the only criteria that he used. There's nothing else in the context that says that they begged for forgiveness or anything like that. It says that they had faith in him. I want you to see something that Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. This is that same word that Jesus used in the second part of his forgiveness. So this is, again, that more common legal type omission, remission, whatever we want to say, of sins. This supports the same idea of forgiveness using a different word. There is no evidence here that the offending party asked to be forgiven. But instead, when we're to address God and we realize, I've got something against somebody else, we're to cancel that out. We're to take care of that in our hearts. Even the parable Jesus told, he said nothing of those who owed the money. We're talking the creditor. Before he forgave. All it says is that they couldn't pay. And he graciously forgave their debt. Now some of us, We'd love to walk into the bank and have someone say that to us, right? It's grace day. Your mortgage is paid for. You know, by the way, we'd be very thankful, right? Okay, but the point is this. That's the kind of forgiveness that we're talking about. Nothing was done to earn it. Nothing was done to receive it. It was a gift. And the things that Jesus taught and lived out and how he forgave and what he instructed lend itself to that all the time no and that's why i'm saying we can't look at this in some huge expansive way but if we can just remember the conversation that jesus had with peter right where he said do i forgive seven times very generous and by the way peter was being culturally generous okay you know we'd like to say oh peter oh, peter he he actually was being a pretty nice guy right? Jesus said, you forgive 70 times seven. And again, we go back to that same word, that same more judicial word with that, okay? Now, in that context, the scriptures very clearly state that if someone comes to me and says, I've offended you, will you forgive me? We are to do that. So there is this idea, there is this, this principle of being ready to forgive, okay? We might not even know that someone did something to us. I mean, that's possible. Or we might know of the offense. And if they come and they ask for forgiveness, we need to forgive and continue to forgive. Again, that doesn't mean that the relationship is perfectly restored. There might be some boundaries that we need to have, things like that. We're not going to get into all that stuff. It doesn't mean you don't forgive somebody. You're not holding something against them. Okay? Someone steals from you. Right? 
They came into your home or, you know, as a guest, they steal from you. And you say, that's great. You know, I appreciate you wanting your forgiveness. Do you have to invite them back into your home? No, that's, that's your choice. But it doesn't mean you don't forgive them. All right? I don't want to confuse things here. What I'm trying to say is this, is that this verse tells us the command that we see, the practice of Christ clearly tells us that we don't have to wait for someone to ask for forgiveness. We can very graciously simply not hold it against them. We don't even have to go up to them and say, just so you know, remember like last Tuesday what you did? I forgive you, right? They might not even know what they did. Again, sometimes it could be something perceived, you know? We can apply what we talked about forbearing even to forgiveness, that whole offense idea. So I'm going to consider that we've really made application as we conclude here um, to bearing with one another. We kind of applied as we went. So as we conclude, we need to apply what we understand about forgiveness. Every sinner who experiences forgiveness from God experiences gracious forgiveness. We may ask for forgiveness for our sins when we respond in faith, but the Lord already initiated our forgiveness through His grace. So we are told to forgive as we have been forgiven. Let's also acknowledge something. Forgiveness is hard. Sometimes. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it's hard. Forgiving on a one-sided basis with the other person or persons doing nothing to make the situation right is even harder. Right? When we unilaterally, on our own, say, I'm not holding that against you, whatever it might be. And again, we're assuming at this point, it is a true offense. That is even harder than someone coming to us and saying, man, you know what? I, I really blew it. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for what I said or did? Again, sometimes that might be hard. But imagine just blotting it out in your heart and mind, and they did nothing to make it right. I think it makes it easier when we're reminded that each one of us should be in the same position in our hearts as that woman was on her knees. When she let her tears rain down. Tears of joy, by the way. Again, she wasn't at that point asking for forgiveness. She was joyfully celebrating that forgiveness. She was, she was cleaning the feet of Jesus and she was anointing his feet all out of humility, all out of gratitude. Having that heart attitude makes it easier to forgive because we don't lose sight of how we have been forgiven by God himself. Again, we're talking about very real offenses, possibly things that have hurt us very badly. What are the offenses of others against us in comparison to the offenses that we've committed against God? Now, again, 
That doesn't mean that we might not even have a responsibility to talk with somebody because we might see a pattern in their lives. There might need to be some, some gracious correctiveness there, but it doesn't mean that it's not accompanied already by forgiveness. Because those same offenses he graciously forgave through the sacrifice of Christ. I want us to be reminded of something we studied a number of weeks ago in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you being dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Past tense. Having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That is the forgiveness that God gives everyone. And that is Tridzomai. That is a gracious forgiveness that God gave when Christ died. And then we go back to our verse today. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Folks, I don't know where we're at today. Is there something that you just seem to continue to bring up that you need to bury it, kill it? When we think of this idea of forgiving 70 times 7, you know, a good application of that is even if the thing has been taken care of, right? But all of a sudden one day it kind of rises up in your heart. Oh man, that person, you know what I mean? You got to wrestle it down and forgive him again. And continue to forgive. Now, one thing that we can take away from this, surely, and it's this. When God forgives something, he doesn't bring it back up. Right? But let's be honest. We're not even capable of that sometimes. Something happens, we're... Whatever it is, and, and, and it just wells up inside of us again. Maybe it's something, like I say, that's been taken care of. Maybe it hasn't been taken care of between you and the other person. But you've forgiven them. But again, then, uh, no, I'm going to forgive. And we keep that heart attitude. That's that putting on. That's that putting on Christ. That's that putting on that new life. Right? Not that we don't already have it. But we are putting on these character qualities that are in relation to it. Amen. It is not easy to forgive. I, I, I doubt that there's anybody in here that can't give an account of something that they really struggled with. That somebody, somebody just really blew it with them. And maybe, frankly, they walked away unscathed, right? They walked away laughing. They think they did a good thing in some twisted way. Man, that's tough. How about something you feel your parents did or didn't do? How about something a sibling said? And then we think of the church. Well, I thought the situation was like this, and then they said that, and I'm offended. I'm making light of it, folks. I'm saying it happens. What do we do? How do we deal with it? 
or to be putting off that bitterness and that malice and that wrath. But putting off doesn't equal putting on. Putting off just means we stop doing the wrong thing. Putting on means partly that we forbear and that we forgive. We can see the example in God himself. We can see the example in the person of Christ on earth. And that is who we need to follow. A gracious forgiveness. Not because of what someone did to make it right ahead of time. But simply because I choose not to hold it against them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think of sometimes a very tall order, Lord, there might be something that we just kind of have in our hearts that that's, it's, it's that pet offense. Maybe we bring it up during the holidays. Maybe we bring it up in key situations just to let somebody know where they're at with us. I don't know. Maybe it's just something that we just kind of hold and pet in our own hearts and feed. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will truly do business with any lack of forgiveness that we have as we see your character. As we fall upon your grace. And may that in turn be given as forgiveness. Lord, I, I feel I know these people well enough. I don't think that we're all walking around with these horrible grudges, particularly in the body here. Some of what I'm talking about is outside of our own church. But at the same time, if there are some things that we just occasionally wrestle with, Lord, I, I pray that, that we will be encouraged by the ability that we can and should have to just simply forgive again, to bypass it, to consider it nothing when it comes to that person's account with us. That we keep that slate clean. And we do within our own hearts between ourselves and you. And that we experience that peace that can take, that, that can, that can uh, accompany that. There's a lot of plus side. There's a lot of blessing there's a lot of benefit here lord and i pray that we not miss it and so in this body of believers i pray that we be a forbearing and forgiving people because of your forbearance and your forgiveness to us and we ask all this in jesus name amen